Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the upcoming. Doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, it doesn't matter. We're here to talk about all the best and the brightest as they make their way to their dream careers. I'm your host, Jonathan Carr. Join me as we have a spectacular conversation with an equally spectacular person. You ready? Let's go. Hello, world, and welcome to The Upcoming, the perfect place to catch the best and brightest on their way to the top. Joining me now for The Upcoming's 35th episode, straight out of Boston. She's about to finish up her degree in journalism all the way at Boston University and has done amazing things in the world of journalism. She was an editorial intern for Modern Luxury Media. She was the travel and culture writer for Boston University Buzz Magazine, and now she's worked her way all the way to creative director for Off the Cuff magazine. So she's had a lot going for her. She is dedicated to journalism, social justice. She is just all around, just people's person, just breaking the world down for us one article at a time. And I am so excited to have her with me today. Ladies and gentlemen, the amazing Abby Balter. How's it going, Abby? Good. Thank you so much for having me on, Jonathan. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Abby, on my show, I always let my guests introduce themselves. So, please indulge us. Who and what exactly are you? Well, that is a hefty question. Um, my name is Abby Balter. Um, I am originally from North Carolina, um, southeastern North Carolina. I grew up in a beach town. Um, and I fell in love with writing and art at a really, really young age. My mom is an actress, so I really grew up around that industry. Uh, but I knew I really, I wanted to do writing from the time I was probably like in middle school or something. Um, and Jonathan and I actually met when we were in high school. I think I was 16, you were 17 at the New York Times School. Um, and we stayed at Fordham Law. So that was where we met and I was just Oh, that was the best experience ever. But yeah, I mean, the things that I'm really passionate about are art and fashion and social justice issues, race and gender issues, um, travel, basically like cultural, I, I don't know, all the different facets of culture. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. And yeah, it is so wild. Um, just think about how long ago it was that you and I met at the uh, School of the New York Times and that's still going strong. So let me ask you something. When you made your, um, let's think about like all the way when you like first, talk, tell us about your first um, trip, like outside of um, North Carolina, when you first took a trip and how that like impacts you and made you like see just like all the different like locations and all the different places you could visit. Yeah, I mean, I my parents definitely took my brother and I like outside of our hometown a lot. Like I grew up traveling a pretty fair amount. Um, so I don't know if I remember like the first trip because I think it was when I was like three months old or six months old or something. But I do remember specifically like my first time ever going to New York with my dad. I was five. My dad is from New York. He grew up on the Upper West Side. So I was going up there for my grandpa's, my grandfather's birthday. And I remember being five. It just literally, no, somehow in my brain, I just knew that that was where I was supposed to be. Um, I never felt like I really fit in in my hometown I know that sounds kind of cliche but I mean that's really how I felt like I honestly spent like my entire life wanting to get out of Wilmington um but I think that that definitely like when the first time I went to New York is like the first like real trip that I distinctly remember I feel like um and I was just like 
enamored and in awe of how large the world was outside of, you know, my own this, my own scope of it. And obviously you can't necessarily conceptualize that as like a child, but I think that I just was so, I was so excited by how many opportunities and possibilities there were. Um, and that was that was really exciting to me like i've always loved traveling i've always loved being in like big cities so that was definitely something really important to me yeah and what better place than like in new york city it's absolute like gem i i love going there too but you know the more you travel what are some things you like learn or really come to understand the more uh, places you see yeah um so i actually was living i lived in madrid last year for about six months doing study abroad so i got to travel a lot during that as well um but i think like the biggest thing and one of the reasons that i love travel so much is i love being able to immerse myself in other cultures and genuinely learn about other cultures and other ways of life and all different i guess facets that takes um so within art within food and within culture and religion and you know all of these different things like there are so many stories to tell that are so that you never would have thought of or been able to experience or tell if you hadn't had the opportunity to go travel and like learn about people and cultures vastly different from the way that you grew up which i think is something really really special um i mean obviously you get to see like really historic parts of the world that like our country just doesn't have because it's so young and so that's also really special but um i think that the biggest thing i learn is just i this sounds cliche but it's true like just how similar humanity is like even though we all we kind of are taught to have this us versus them mentality about the world i think that once you travel and like meet people from all different walks of life and all different ages and all of that you learn like how fundamentally similar humans are. And I think that that's so special, especially as a storyteller, to be able to find like the common thread within humanity um, and be able to tell stories of different worlds. Like that is the most like exciting thing to me. Um, and I also just love learning. So it's, it's definitely something I really value. Yeah, I fully understand. I fully get you with, you know, just going out uh, outside of your home, just seeing like all different cultures, all the different ways of life people live. And you know, the way you described it reminded me of a show. You ever seen um, Anthony Bourdain, uh, Parts Unknown? Yeah, yeah. I've seen a few episodes. Yeah. Yeah, that was really good show because it just described, just as you um, said, it's just a guy going through like different cultures, Thailand, you know, Morocco, um, parts of the U.S., Canada, and he's just not only obviously trying different foods, but uh, he's also just hearing like how people live their lives, like their cultures, how they do things around there. And he's able to just sit down people and just have like a normal conversation like you've known before. And it's just, you're right. It's, we are so similar in different ways, yet like being in the U.S., like we feel so different So yeah. um, compared to everybody else. Yeah, especially because I think that, especially, you know, given political things right now i think that it's really easy to i, I want to villainize to an extent but also just kind of isolate people into different categories as if 
and yeah, I guess villainize is the right word. But when you sit down with people, you're like, no, like we're all human beings. We all fundamentally want the same things. And like to be able to form that human connection with people who, you know, you might not share like similarities in terms of where you're from. But like, I think that, that it's so beautiful to be able to break down those barriers of like what I guess society wants you to believe and it's very easy to have the us versus them mentality and so to be able to break down those barriers by like you said just having like a genuine conversation with another person and like learning like no we are so similar we all ultimately want the same things in life and i think that that's really beautiful it is truly beautiful it's a wonderful thing so uh now a random question uh, what country have you n- uh, not visited that you really want to see? Well, there's so many. There's so many. Um, my next on my list right now, though, is Colombia. I have a lot of friends from Colombia, so I really, really want to go there and visit them. Um, I also really would like to go more into like Latin America. Like I've never been to Mexico, um, but I also like a lot. Again, I have a lot of friends in different Latin American countries. So like, I would really love to be able to go to Central America as well. Um, but there are so many. I mean, oh, my God, I could go on all day. Yes, honestly. And I had a guest uh, on the show from Colombia. So it just made me more excited to see it, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she was so cool. Yeah, she was an amazing guest. But, um, yeah, you know, it's just you just got to get out and just, just try just not worry about like what everybody say about country. Just see them. Yeah. Cause yeah. like you said, there's just so much to see, so much to learn, so many people to meet, so much delicious food to try. It's exactly. It's and I feel like, especially like we were just saying in countries that have certain reputations because of certain things in their history or whatever, like, although those things might be true, like, like I said, it's so easy to not to like kind of, view it in this othering way and when you get to know the culture and the people like it's so rich in love and in history and in just like a fervor for life and that is so inspiring um this yeah truly truly inspiring so now let's take it from traveling to your career in writing so tell me about like how journalism really came to be it was how your passion for that came to be and you just realized this is what I want to do this is like my my passion yeah so I think I was probably in like middle school and I realized that, I mean I was always that kid that was like best friends with their English teacher like all, all throughout my life um but I remember specifically in like seventh grade we you know you write like expository essays about you know, whatever book you're reading. And I remember we read Romeo and Juliet and I wrote this paper on it. And I felt like, you know, for my seventh grade mind, I feel like it was pretty insightful. <laughs> um, but I remember then like my my teacher at the time, like she had very nice comments about it. And I just like remember, I loved writing it. Like other kids, you know, would dread writing like these essays and stuff. And I was just like, loved doing it. I thought it was so fun. And so I remember when she told me that she felt like I was good at it and that I did something good. I was like, oh, like, I really like this. Like maybe I could do this. And at the time, like most of my life, um, I wanted to go to fashion school. I planned on going to like FIT like forever. Um, but it was probably then where I kind of started to like learn more about, you know, possibilities within writing and stuff that I like that I thought that I liked to write about. And so probably in about like ninth grade, I 
realized I was like, I should study journalism because it's a really beautiful way for me to be able to combine all of the different interests that I have. So within art and social justice and politics and travel and literature and film and all of these other things, like it was a really perfect medium for me able to, for me to be able to both like um, hone my passion and craft with writing, but also incorporate all these other things that interest me. So I didn't kind of have to like, um, what's the word, like pigeonhole myself in terms of doing one thing. Uh, so that was definitely like, I think that's where I realized I wanted to do journalism. Um, and so obviously that's what I study at BU. And I de and over the years, obviously certain things shift. I realized there's a lot of different types of writing that I want to do. I want to do stuff in terms of like writing novels and narrative nonfiction and maybe screenwriting at a certain point and like poetry. So honestly, like kind of all different facets of writing, but journalism is definitely where I kind of found like that base of where I felt like that was a good spot for me to start out in. Amazing, amazing. So you're first starting, uh, you know, doing different uh, journalism jobs and reporting for, uh, in Boston University. What were some of your, like, tactics? What were you, and let me put it like this way, what were you, like, the techniques or the, like, principles you were trying to, like, follow or look for when you were, you know, being a journalist? Like, break us down to um, that sort yeah. of aspect. Yeah, so obviously in, J in journalism school, like, the pillars of journalism are truth, like, fact-checking, no plagiarism, and, like, just being an ethical reporter in terms of being, like, non-biased non when you're reporting. Obviously, every human being is going to have a certain level of bias, but I guess just covering both sides of the issue and not being very, like, one-sided with it. Um, there's a lot of certain ethics behind journalism. So again, like truth and is like the paramount thing. Like, and that's why um, obviously like with the media and with the, with journalism being under attack in the last several years, that's been something that we've talked about even further in within my classes and stuff. Um, we take like law and ethics classes and things like that so those are definitely like the pillars of journalism um fair and honest reporting and i think that also in terms of my work like trying to also if i'm when i'm speaking with people to always do so with empathy especially when you're covering an issue or an event that's kind that is traumatic or has you know something somebody's telling you a story about some really difficult things that have happened in their life to always meet them with empathy and with a lot of understanding, I think, without, you know, crossing that barrier of with your interviewee of being too like, like friends, but also meeting them with a lot of empathy and try making sure that they trust you because that's a really, really vital thing in terms of any sort of storytelling, but especially in journalism, when you're talking to people who have been through so many different things to always make sure that they feel like they can trust you and that you're not, you're going to tell their story in a fair and truthful way. Um, so those are definitely some of the pillars um, that I would say it definitely is something difficult when it's definitely emotional and difficult job, especially when you're, I did a story for the Cambridge Chronicle that was about a, 
um, if there's a certain neighborhood in Cambridge that has a lot of gun violence issues. And so I did a story about a mom who her son was killed on Harvard's campus. Um, and she had started a support group. It's kind of like a support group for for family members and loved ones who have had their children killed by gun violence. And they have different guest speakers come in and talk to them. Like they have police come in, which is a big, um, which was a really interesting thing considering a lot of it unfortunately happened at the hands of law enforcement. And so I got to interview the mom of the the, the mother who originally started this um, and talk about her son. Um, and that was obvious. That was a really emotional interview to get into because, you know, this is asking a mother to share the story of her son being killed. And so that was something really a big learning experience for me in terms of how to talk to people in those situations. And so, again, like I said, always meeting people with empathy and making sure that they can trust you or they feel like they can trust you and be open with you is really vital. And also making sure that they're aware that if they want anything to be off the record, that they're willing to say so. And that, you know, if there's stuff that they, there's certain things that they don't want to get into that that's also okay. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, that sounds incredibly tough because you're right. You are with that empathy. That means you are like understanding, really feeling like just the pain and the sorrow that these parents will be feeling just because of all this uh, gun violence and all this chaos that's really going on. But, um, you know, you're doing uh, great work right here by, you know, just reaching out to them, helping them share their story. So uh, definitely uh, good work on that. But I got it. I got, I'm really curious about something. Is, was there ever um, like a story or a piece that you maybe perhaps just like obsessed over? Like you just couldn't put it away no matter how much time had uh, passed by? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like there's so many things that I've written and also just both stories that I've written where I've been like really honed in on it, but also ideas for stories that I'm like, I always keep coming back to them and I'm just kind of trying to find a way to tell that and what's the most appropriate way to tell that story. Um, I'm, for example, like there's a story right now that I, one issue that I'm very, very passionate about is immigration. Um, and so I'm working on a story right now that's a profile piece on a young Honduran woman who's living in Boston and she's she's 21 she's um around our age and so I'm writing a profile on her and kind of about the immigration system and specifically like Central American Latin American immigration into the U.S. and this is a topic I've thought about for so long and been wanting to write about for so long but I was trying to think about a way to do it that hasn't necessarily you know been done a hundred times over because this is an issue that I think for a lot of people um is unfortunately kind of oversaturated in the news and that people tend to not want to hear about anymore and so but this story that i'm working on like i just can't put it down like it's so important to me on like a personal level but also i just know like i i'm just when i talk to um the girl the woman that i'm writing the story about like I'm like, people need to hear this story because it's so harrowing and it's so emblematic of the way that the immigration system in the U.S. disenfranchises people of color, 
of course, but also like I think really specifically Latin Americans, um, I guess in this case, especially in the last several years, you know, with the Trump administration and the what their stance on immigration at the border. Um, it's definitely something very close to my heart that I just can't put down. And one thing that my professors always tell me is do not write about stuff that you're not passionate about. Like everything that you like, don't do a story about something you're not passionate about because your apathy is going to show through in your reporting and in your writing. Because if you're, and also why would I, I, my other philosophy is that why would I waste the little amount of time that I have on this earth writing about stuff that I don't care about? Obviously there's a, like when you're breaking into the industry um, and getting your first like salary job, you're going to have to, you know, work your way up the ladder to be able to write about the things that are like really, really um, passionate or things that are really important to you. But for me, I always try to find a way to tell stories that are something that I, that I'm personally invested in because that just makes it so much easier in so many different respects. And it's also just so much more fulfilling. So there's a lot of stories that I have, um, in my back pocket that like definitely are not that are stuff always in the back of my mind. And I'm always thinking about how I can tell that better. Interesting. So yeah. Immigration. We've had a wild, like couple, um, couple of years, decade, even with, you know, just the U.S.'s relationship with, you know, immigration and with people coming to U.S., you know, with Obama deporting like massive amounts of uh, immigrants to Trump's like ideas on border wall and the uh, Muslim ban to where we are now with, um, you know, child separation and just the overall just crackdown with the, you know, um, fight against um, ICE, like just the relationship with ICE and their efforts. So it's really, it's such a... I don't even know how to describe this these times. How would you describe them? Um, so right now, in terms of what's going on, Title, I believe it's Title 42, which was a Trump administration era um, law, is starting to end because that law basically banned any... Um, it basically banned a lot more... Like, it, you could not enter the board... Like, Sorry, let me collect my thoughts. Basically, like if people came in legally or illegally, they could stay in the U.S. until their court date, until their court date was um was ready for like to be seen in front of a judge of like whether they could stay or go or whatever their case was. That is and but the basically at that time, like Title Forty Two basically says that you can't stay in the U.S. to wait await your court date which that was a Trump era ban to try to, um, or Trump era law to try to mitigate the amount of illegal immigrants in the country. That's coming to an end now um, under the Biden administration. So now I believe people are allowed to stay in the US now, but that's gonna bring a whole um, new influx of immigration. So the issue, it's a big issue because the New York Times actually did an article about it like yesterday or two days ago, I think, um, because basically we obviously the immigration system in the U.S. is so incredibly backlogged, which is part of the reason why the system is dilapidated is because people are waiting years and years and years just to get a hearing in front of a judge and because there's 
very few um, immigration judges. There's very few immigration officers. Like there's so many thousands and thousands of applications and appeals going on that it's insanely backlogged. So a lot part of the reason I, well, besides, you know, racism, um, that Title 482 was put into place because obviously Trump and like Republicans tend to be a lot more um, conservative on the issue of immigration. So that was put into place to try to mitigate the amount of people in the coming coming into the country illegally. Um, but now, because they're kind of opening that back up, there is going to be an even lot, like a massive amount of people coming in at once, which is going to unfortunately likely cause an even larger backlog. So it's a really, really complicated issue. Like I am literally scratching like the very surface on it. Um, but just according to like my sources that I've spoken to about from these different stories who are experts in this field, like it's a huge issue because on one hand, like there's so many people needing asylum. There's so many people um you know seeking refuge from different countries but our court system literally cannot accommodate that amount of people um and so also i think recent i think that also they just announced that like people from venezuela nicaragua and a couple other countries are not allowed to come to the us seeking asylum which is really to me they basically they were saying the the the, sorry the government is saying that those people from those countries don't have a valid reason to say they're seeking asylum which is a lot has come under fire by a lot of democrats for being rooted in discrimination and racism and so that's another issue like that's the other thing is that like latin american immigration versus trying to latin american immigrants trying to seek asylum in the u.s versus well let's say ukrainian immigrants trying to seek refuge in the u.s is two completely different stories like there's a lot of this is like a lot of all this information is according to like sources that i have in these stories from um the immigration chair at vanderbilt and like other really reputable sources that I've spoken to, um, along with just reading, but yeah, it's a huge, huge issue right now. And it's a, it's really, really complicated. Like I said, I'm literally just scratching the surface of talking about it. Um, but it's just a very multi-layered thing. Like there's not one right answer. Um, and obviously like people on the more progressive side have more lenient approaches to the, to immigration law or policy versus like a lot more conservative, um, leaning people tend to have a more, I don't know, restrictive view. Um, some people want all immigration to stop right now because of how backlogged it is. But obviously there's a lot of people that need help. So it's just like, it's super complicated. I mean, honestly, our immigration system, in my opinion, is really um, needs to be overhauled. And I think that a lot of it comes down to, like we were talking about earlier with the travel thing is like not being able to recognize other people's humanity because we very much have this clouded view of the other and like the foreign country kind of, it comes down to like xenophobia to an, ex to, to an extent um, of just like not being able to recognize or genuinely see the humanity in these people. Um, 
which I think is something that is my goal in terms of journalism is really being able to find the humanity in everybody and having, and not only that, but helping other people, like helping the general public to genuine, to truly understand it, see this and have empathy for them um, and have empathy for these different stories that we're telling. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You cut real deep and it really is such a shame. And it's really the same, just how like complicated and multi-layered it is because you're right. There is no real right or wrong answer because any, idea could have like have setbacks or like have um issues like to it but you're right the important thing is that we you know act with empathy with you know understanding just as people were able to show you like empathy and humanity when you traveled around and when you got to see different places so it's it's really it's ultimately sad when you look at it because it's just so much going on people really do wait a really long time just to be able to be told whether or not they get to come to the U.S. And so, but you know, it's it's really just the f- thought of empathy that's really got me thinking about my next question because we have seen, I don't know if I can want to call it a rise, but we've seen a lot of articles that feature like opinions and like just op-eds where people just give their side of the of the story and whether that's detrimental or, you know, just good for journalism is pretty much up for debate at this point. But how do you view the rise of like opinions regarding certain uh, topics or issues, uh, Abby? Yeah, so that's, a, there are a lot of, I think a very common misconception about journalism is there's only, that journalism is only hard news. That's not true. There's a lot of different types of journalism. So there's obviously like hard, straight hard news. There's feature pieces, editorial pieces, um, you know, long form projects and uh, narrative, like narrative forms of journalism. Um, but also op-eds and columns are a big other part of it. And that is like, the thing is that it's, called that for a reason like it's not called like news like a hard news story i think see honestly like i don't have a ton of experience in writing these pieces but i think that one thing that is another common misconception is that opinion pieces are just based on like whatever that person's like spewed opinion is no there's a lot of research that goes into it like people you don't get hired to write for the Boston Globe op-ed section and not have research behind what you're saying. Like, I think that they're definitely of value and of merit. It doesn't mean you have to listen to it or agree with it, but I think that the thing about, like, op-eds or, like, reviews or criticisms and, um, critic, like, arts criticism or whatever is that it's supposed to just provide you with another perspective and like even if you don't necessarily agree with that perspective it can maybe make you think of things in a different way or see things in a way that you never thought of it before and that doesn't mean you have to agree with it it just means oh i never thought of it like that before that's an interesting point or you can agree with a couple things or it's just, it's meant to, in my opinion, it's supposed to be thought provoking. And yes, like to an extent, it's supposed to be, it's persuasive writing. But A, there's a lot of research that goes in behind it. Like people who write, who professionally write op-eds and columns, 
they're not saying this just like out of nowhere. Like it comes from a lot of research, a lot of understanding about the deeper, about these issues. Like you can't write up, like you can't write about a certain issue and not have a lot, a huge depth of knowledge about it. But I think that it's important. It's just supposed to show different perspectives on an issue and from people who are educated about it. And again, even if you don't agree with it, you can still be like, oh, I never thought of it like that before. Or I didn't know that. That's really interesting. And so it just provides like more of a multifaceted approach to understanding issues. And I think that it's really important. And I mean, I honestly, like I do want to write opinion pieces at some point. Like I would love to have a column. So of course I'm not going to dog on it, but I understand if people don't want to read it, but I think that people also need to understand like what it actually is. Cause I think it's a huge misconception that like, it's just these random people like pulling opinions out of their ass. And that's just not, that's just not the case. Um, but I think that it's important. And like, I just, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but um, I think it just goes back to the ultimate thing behind storytelling is like learning about and trying to understand facets of a person's life and experience that are different from yours and taking that and trying to learn from it in whatever way you can. Wow. Yeah. Really good answer. So it's really, whether you like it or not, the least you can do is like understand like what these uh, op-eds do and the research that's put into um, all of them. And so, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. There we go. Folks just learn something, learn something big. So you do a, you do your first op-ed. Uh, what do you think you'll do it on? Oh, I have no idea. It depends where I'm working. It depends what they... Uh, usually people who write op-eds are obviously like, uh, that's not going to be my job out of college. Um, you have to have some many years under your belt before you can get to that. Um, I think that people who generally like, write op-eds and like columns um, do have a lot more freedom in terms of what they write. Although, again, like, it depends where I'm working. I, I really can't say what I'm going to want to write because that could be years from now. I don't know what I'll be interested in. I mean, like, I would, like, right now I'm like, oh, yeah, write an opinion piece about immigration or something. Although I'd have to do a ton more research to even talk about it. Um, I think that's just the biggest thing is, like, the amount of research that goes into any form of journalism is absolutely insane. Like, that's what people don't realize is like so much of the work is just in the research and like interviewing um not even before you even sit down to write anything okay i i see i see but you know that's so that's understanding um op-eds that's that's uh good appreciate that uh but there's also like you said there's so much more in journalism and everything but there's not just um topic of op-eds, but there's also just been the topic of, let's take it to another um, perspective of journalism. If people call it journalism, I don't know. Some people like have very mixed opinions on it, but there's just the rise of attitudes really in journalism. Because we've seen like, let's take the sort of weird little battle with CNN and Fox News where you had people like Don Lemon and freaking Tucker Carlson just going at it saying a bunch of different things all about one side and the other saying about the other and like just trying to feed all these like thoughts and ideas into uh, their people's heads and it made you know millions of dollars but 
now we've seen Don and Tucker just be sent home away from their respective companies. How, how do you view just the sort of sort of I don't know I don't know I don't even know what to call it. Sort of just angle, I guess, that these um, these people have taken um, in journalism in their um, anchor roles uh, too. Do you mean like the partisan nature of news organizations yeah. or yeah. those specific people? Just the partisan nature of the... Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that obviously that's been something that's been talked about heavily in the last several years. Um, I mean, I first want to say that, again, a really common misconception um, that I've had people say to me so many times and I'm so young in this field um, is thinking that all journalism is like that. And that's not true. Um, I think that obviously Fox news is the easiest organization to call out for blatant partisanship um, considering they were also sued by um, dominion voting for influence for election for pro sorry perpetuating falsehoods about the ele- about the 26 uh, yeah about the election so, and um rupert murdoch literally sa- said yeah we did he said that under oath so it's pretty like um there are certain things like that that are very glaring um cnn does also tend to be a little bit more um liberal leaning although i also don't necessarily think it's fair to say everything on cnn is like that um because it's still a respected news organization i think that the larger one of the larger issues with the honestly i think that one of the largest issues with the partisanship that news outlet that major news outlets have been going through has to do with the villainizing of the press specifically under the trump administration um and the way that he banned cnn reporters from being at the white house like he would try to kick people out and like specifically in public say how much he hates cnn how much he hates msnbc but would never say that about fox so obviously like when you are being attacked by the president of the united states to in front of the entire world like there's gonna be more of a divide created just because of that when somebody that's one of the most powerful people in the world is saying that. So I think that honestly, that in my opinion is a really big thing that we have to mention in terms of this. Um, I think that also it's because people like to like the general public um, like to hear their own opinions validated. So people do tend to, um, you know, tune into news outlets that they think might align more with their beliefs because it's easier to hear your own beliefs reinforced than to open your mind to other perspectives. I think that it's a, it's, it's just easier for people. You don't have to do as much critical thinking. And so, and I don't fault anybody for that. Like, I think that it's also comforting at a certain level to like, feel like, I don't know. It is. I understand that to an extent, um, but I do think that obviously, like, I think especially with like major news outlets that are had do like broadcast and stuff, like it definitely 
there is a much more partisan way about it. But I have to say that I think a huge, huge part of that comes back to the way that the press has been villainized by politicians um, that has caused that divide to widen even further. Um, but in terms of Tucker Carlson and uh, Don Lemon, I mean, those are two different situations, kind of, because Don Lemon was fired for some ignorant comments he made about women that just like, I don't know why you would say that, but I mean, Tucker Carlson, like, it's also the cultural acceptance of misogyny, racism, homophobia, and bigotry that I think Fox News specifically, like, really opens the door for. So I think it's honestly a really big step that they fired Tucker Carlson. Um, I mean, he also has been fired from other other major major news outlets he worked for before Fox. Um, so that's important to know. But um, it's interesting to see, like, I don't know. It's interesting to think about if that departure departure is going to have any ramifications in terms of the way like news organizations like Fox operate in terms of partisan reporting. Yeah, you're right. It is definitely so interesting just to see um, like people like Tucker Carlson be like kicked off and just see just like wild um, steps that other news organizations have taken for this uh, partisan um, partisanship and with Trump oh my gosh his war on the press was just people would be making documentaries about this for years now yeah. oh my gosh it was so well do you remember that one tweet he made of him like um, wrestling that guy with like CNN's uh, logo like for a face I do that? not remember that but I wow that does not yeah. surprise me at all no it, it, it can't nothing can surprise you about how he feels about, about the media but he pushed this whole fake news idea around and people started accusing uh, news companies of just like misinformation of just, like misleading uh, the public so how do you think like in the future uh news organizations and media can like sort of challenge and like fight back that like wild narrative yeah that's a really good question um and it's definitely something that is still very much being thought about and talked about in the world of journalism um we talk about it extensively in j school um like all the time that is something that because like i was saying before about like pillars of journalism that is why truth and fact-checking are the most important things. And, like, obviously not plagiarizing. Like, are the most important things because... And having really, really reputable sources who will go on the record because there is such a massive distrust of the media and of journalists in this country right now, which is really disheartening because journalism is the backbone of democracy, Without journalism, democracy would not be able to function. Without the free press, democracy would not be able to function. That is a fact. And so obviously in terms of trying to rectify that public mistrust, the, the, most, the biggest thing that we can do is to make sure that we are telling the truth, that we are telling accurate, fact-checked, like, true stories and making sure that that is reflected in our sources and everything 
And so that's why, like, I mean, we talk about that so much in, in um, journalism school. I think that obviously, like, I don't, not to keep bringing it back to Donald Trump, but a lot of these issues do tend to, like, go back to some of that. Not everything, obviously, throughout history. Um, but I think in recent years, we can talk about Donald Trump as, like, a huge person who, like, really, really um, pioneered, I guess you could say, this, like, movement of distrust against journalism in the country. Um, I think that, sorry, um, it's really frustrating because I think that the fact of the matter is that within a lot of news organizations, it's not fake news. It's just that it's information that Donald Trump didn't want people to hear. So he labeled it as being fake, even though it's not. I think that another thing that obviously we've talked about and not again, bringing it, have to bring it back to Fox news to an extent is they, it is a fact that they perpetuated false falsehoods about the election. And Rupert Murdoch literally said that under oath, he agreed to that like in front of the Supreme court. And so that's one of those things where it's like, that is why people distrust journalists. Because, like, when that happens, like, it ruins, like, even if just one person does it out of, like, millions of people, that is what the news is going to be. That's what's going to be out there. That's what the public is going to latch on to is that one miss is that one person's mistake, that one, like, or that one organization's mistake. And so we also talk about this a lot in law and ethics of, like, people journalists and this is i want to also say this is on both sides both we're going to talk about politics like this is on both sides like this happens with like people who are more republican leaning or, or democratic leaning or whatever like this is not just one side like this is throughout history um this has happened but that but it's not on like a massive scale necessarily it's like one person that's why it's so important to always be truthful and always to make sure that you're fact checking and that you have reputable sources and all of that, because those are the type of situations, whether we like it or not, that disrupt the reputation of journalism. Um, and it's really disheartening. I think that we can also obviously talk about social media in that. And obviously that's something that's also been a big discussion, especially on Twitter. Um, in terms of the spreading of fake news and on TikTok as well, where people who haven't done their research, haven't read articles, haven't talked to sources, like they're literally just random, random civilians posting stuff and saying that it's true when it's just not. Like there's no evidence behind it, but it spreads like a wildfire on social media because of buzzwords, because of like just like the way that our world works now. In the digital age, like the spread of fake news is so rampant on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, etc. And so that's another thing that news organizations have really, really had to think about and think about how they're going to combat that. But also the way that social media organizations choose to combat that. Yes, yes. And I'm so happy you brought up just like the spread of misinformation because, you know, at, for a couple, past couple of months now, that's been a huge thing regarding Twitter ever since uh, Elon Musk uh, um, bought the company and acted as his new CEO for a short time. What a bizarre period that was. Uh, but, you know, in his promises to try to, like, 
stop the spread of like, misinformation, try to like bring Twitter back to you know new heights and to its uh, glory. It's really hasn't really changed much. There's still a lot of misinformation, still a lot of people on different sides. And so like, what do you think, um, yeah, so what do you think social media companies could have done like different to like pr- protect and like, you know, maintain just the honesty and like integrity of journalism by like preventing all this misinformation because it's really become, it's like a disease really that's happened. Yeah, oh, that is a large question that I don't think that I could answer individually because the world is still trying to figure out how to answer that. I think that in terms of Twitter, like obviously they put like, oh, like when you like quote tweet it or like repost, you can say like, it will say if you read the article or not, which or it'll it'll be like, read this article before you repost it. Because a lot of times people, even when there is an article linked, they'll just read the headline and then not read the article. Therefore, they don't actually know what the heck the article is saying, you know? And so even though it'll say that, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not like it reposts and says, this person didn't read the article. It just is like, suggest, you should read this article. And then people are just like, no. And then you repost it. Um, I think that I, uh, it's a really, really hard question that I don't necessarily think I have the answer to right now. I think. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll just, uh, we'll skip that one now. But um yeah, yeah, because this is, I'm sorry, yeah, it was, I guess it was pretty broad, but it's just no, something you just can't help but think about, really, because there is such a big problem going on with misinformation, with just like, yeah, you're right. There is such a big thing going on with, especially with like attention, like just like the attention span, because people, it's, it's, it's not hard to see that attention spans, like lately, especially amongst newer generations, has significantly like decreased. And uh, we're going around that it's like this. Like with the equivalent of a goldfish's attention span, which sounds crazy to me, but uh, regardless of whether that's true or not, it's still something you gotta like really pay attention to. With the rise of social media, especially TikTok, like just driving up our need for short and sweet uh, content, it makes sense that a lot of people would just like read the article and think they have it all figured out when they don't. So that being that being said, yeah, it's still, well, we'll see in the future just how social media really tries to combat this, but it's going to be pretty tricky. Yeah. It's obviously something that like I think about and that I think people think about. I just don't necessarily have like one answer because it's still something everyone in that business is trying to like navigate. But yeah, it's very difficult, especially with TikTok because it's video content. And so I know that sometimes it might say, like, there might be a little, like, warning thing that's, like, information in this video might be, like, false or something like that. But again, like, it's not enough to to the point that, like, people are necessarily going to scroll past it. And also because there's so much content on these platforms... There's no way that a person that works for the company can go through every single video or every single tweet and be like, this is wrong. Like, that's the other thing is that the amount of content is just absolutely insane. So, like, one person can't manually go through and be like, oh, this is wrong. This is fake. So we're going to take this down. So then I don't that's where it comes down. I'm like, I'm glad I don't have that job because I really don't know how you would navigate that. I really have no idea. Your brain would implode like yeah. on the first day. Yeah. Um, 
Well, let's um, let's take it a little bit uh, away from uh, journalism for a bit and just talk about your role with uh, Off the Cuff Magazine. So as its creative director and in class to you for that, that's a big role right there. You know, one of the biggest um, skills you got to know is no doubt leadership. So how has this uh, role um, built you as a leader? It's a very good question. Um, so I have been a stylist. I've been a stylist on Off the Cuff for the last since I was a sophomore and I knew I wanted to be creative director um, because it's just like my dream job. Um, I think in terms of leadership, like we have a huge organization, like it's about a hundred people and give or take. So about a hundred people work on each magazine. Um, and so the way it works is every week. So we obviously have our e-board, like I'm the creative director um, and then our, my edit, our editor in chiefs and a couple other people are, um, director of photography you know though we're all in every shoot but every other shoot like there's different models different stylists different other photographers um different makeup artists etc so you're working with a ton of different people every week so you kind of try to get to know people as best you can i think the biggest thing is having a vision having a very strong vision for the shoot that we're working on um, because everybody is looking to you for guidance about how to pose, about how to set up a shot, about how to do the art direction and it, it, all of that and how to do the styling. So I think having a very strong vision and, and making sure that you make everybody else around you feel comfortable is really important. And it's something that I obviously am still learning and working on. Um, because it can be really stressful. It can be a really stressful environment. But if you um, come across as you know what you're doing, even when you don't, even when you're nervous, just making sure that everybody else around you know, feels like you are in control, feels like you know what you're doing, makes everything else be more calm, makes everybody else be more calm, which is really essential. Um, I think that also not being afraid to, I think, I mean, I've never had an issue giving my opinion, but learning how to like really compromise and really, really work with people is so important because off the cuff and just really anything in terms of art is so collaborative. And that's really what our organization is about. It's about the collaboration between artists to create something that's really exceptional and larger than any of us. And so learning how to you know, have this vision and how to guide people to help create this vision and have it come to life, but also make, making sure that people feel like they have room and space to foster their creativity, to implement their ideas, to share thoughts and ideas um, that they have and being able to implement that while still doing it under the umbrella of this larger theme is really, really, really important. And making sure that people feel safe and comfortable to share their ideas and their thoughts and not, not creating a very like elitist environment um, and making, just making sure that everyone, nobody, making sure everyone feels respected and heard um, is some of my biggest goals with it. Cause I just, I, I love, love, love seeing like the way that everybody's different ideas come together under this larger idea. Like it's, even though I come in having this very strong vision of certain things, the photographers and the models and the stylists and everybody on the shoot, like brings it to life in a way so much larger than, and more 
interesting than I could have ever imagined. And that's like the most special thing is just like, yeah, fostering an environment of creativ creativity and collaboration and like making sure people feel safe in that, in that space. Amazing, truly. And so, yeah, you were a stylist for a while before changing to um, creative director. And I understand that you were also into uh, fashion for a time and that's you know, how you found uh, Modern uh, Luxury becoming an intern for them. And uh, let me ask you this, just what about uh, fashion do you love the most? I don't know if I could name one thing because fashion to this day is my single favorite thing in the world. Like, I love it. It's like, I, it, it's so important to me. Um, I love obviously the creativity, the artistry behind it and the way that you can tell stories through clothes without like through art without saying anything like on one hand like obviously I'm a writer so I like to talk I like using words <laughs> but I think that it's really beautiful it's really I keep saying beautiful but like it's really cool to be able to convey an idea or an emotion or a story or something about who you are through clothing and through fashion um and art because you don't have to use any words it's just a reflection of you know, whether it's yourself that you're dressing or you're doing styling for a shoot that has a certain story behind it, thinking about how how can you t reflect this certain idea without saying anything is so cool, like the creative element behind it. And it's also like my favorite art form, like besides writing. Like it's my favorite art form because I just, I don't know, I just love clothes. I love fashion, I love design, I love, um, I, I just think it's a, I, it's a really, it's a form of storytelling. Like all art is to an extent a form of storytelling. And it's a way of self-expression for me, for sure. Like a hundred percent a way of self-expression. Like I wanted to be a designer for a really long time. Um, and it's, it makes me feel so good about myself when I can have feel like I am reflected in whatever clothes I'm wearing or whatever I'm styling or whatever and or anything and also like being able to create something that makes other people feel good about themselves when they put it on is so special um especially in terms of stuff with like I obviously do tend to focus a lot more on women's fashion so I will speak about it in the context of that um but I mean just also in general for like anybody of any um gender identity um like being able to put something on that makes you feel good about yourself and you f want somebody feels like is reflective of who they are is so cool like that like it's just yeah i don't know if i i, I know any like 10 things but it's, it's it's okay it's okay you gave a great answer and just really broke down what you love about it it's you know fashion is an interesting art because it's like painting there's never one way to do it, and it can be like go from elegant to, to we'll call it kind of bizarre, because yeah. you know, people think about this. You saw the I know you saw the uh, Met Gala this year, huh? Yeah, of course. And people were just like <laughs> some people were just absolutely roasting like the celebrities wearing it. I remember Jared Leto wearing his cat suit. I remember like um, Bad Bunny in his like um, backless uh, sport coat. But there's there's people who've um, put like who 
the, the stylists and designers who created like those looks like put together and were like, this is art. This is like my painting on the canvas right there. And some people loved it, some um, didn't, but it's just sort of that like, just how subjective um, it can be at times. Like how, how do you um, sort of look at just the way like art, like as people say art like that um, comes to life? Yeah, I mean, um, it's kind of similar in terms of what you're just talking about, about seeing like your work, like kind of on a canvas, like it's such a special feeling. And I'll talk about that and kind of also in relation to off the cuff, like being able to see your vision that you've had and that you've worked so hard on in all these different, like, you know, little tiny ways that nobody ever sees and being able to see that come to life, whether it's like on a on like a person like on a person walking the runway or on a page of a magazine that is i literally get chills talking about it it's the most fulfilling thing to be able to see something you are that you because there's a part of yourself that's in that like i there when i look at the like off the cuff magazines like specifically our two issues from this year that i've been creative director on metamorphosis and escapism I look through the pages and I'm like, I can see myself in this on these pages, as well as all the other people who worked on it. But like, there's a part of your your own identity and your soul that's in this work. And so being able to see that like come to fruition and appreciated and celebrated is the the most special and fulfilling feeling. And like, um, speaking, you brought up Bad Bunny. I love he was one of my best dressed at the Met Gala this year. Um, obviously, the Met Gala, like, the whole thing is it's fa it's art. It's not supposed to be, like, ready-to-wear fashion. It's art. And that is what's so, so cool about it. Um, you know, I can have my roast about certain looks. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's truly an art form. That's why it's at the Met. I mean, it's, I just love that celebration of it. Because I think that a lot of times people might not, immediately be like oh fashion is like as art i mean but it very very much is because people a lot of times associate it with like painting or sculptures or whatever um but it's just like the coolest thing it's 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 i can't describe it as anything more than it's just so fulfilling and it's almost surreal to see like something that you've put your heart and soul into it's like musicians are with their with their music or um poets or whatever like there's a part of your soul that's in that and that's really really special ah, amazing amazing so now just for my last question abby how where do you want just after all your experiences all your um endeavors and all the stories you've covered where do you want your your journey your career um, in journalism to take you next? And we've talked about like, exploring other fields of writing and even like screenwriting, but where do you want to like go next in just in journalism at your base? Yeah, so um, I really want to, I want to stay in the Northeast right now, probably in Boston or New York, although I'm open to other opportunities abroad maybe. Um, but I would, I'm really, I want to break it and be in my ideal world, I would love to work for a magazine. I would love to do like editorial writing, cultural writing is what I really want to do with journalism. But to break in, I will do whatever I can to like, if I, as long as I respect 
and admire the organization for which I'm working, I will do anything right now to like break into that and help in whatever way I can, as long as I can do some writing ideally um, and be able to write about things that are important to me and important to our generation and to our society and just talk about cultural issues that are meaningful and that people haven't thought about before in this certain angle. And that's really in terms of right now what I want to do with journalism. Perfect. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. So thank you so much for the answer, Abby. And that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our episode 35 of the upcoming. I want to give another big thank you to my guest for tonight, Miss Abby Balta. Thank you so much for coming on and giving us your incredible knowledge and insight, Abby. Thank you for having me. I've had, I've had, I've had a great time talking to you. This has been lovely. Yeah, yes, yes, it has. It's been amazing for me. So, ladies and gentlemen, that is all I said. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the underscore upcoming podcast. And be sure to tune in for uh, the next episode. We stream on Spotify, Amazon uh, Music, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora. Maybe we get into uh, iHeartRadio next. So, every not Apple Podcasts yet. I'm sorry, but that'll, that'll come soon. So, uh, that being said, that is all. Sure. Like I said, be sure to tune in for the next episode. And ladies and gentlemen, good night. Thank you for tuning in to the upcoming. If you like this, be sure to follow us on Spotify, Amazon Music, Pandora, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at the underscore upcoming podcast. The best yet to come. Take care, everybody.